spiral heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day to gather together like this, knowing that we are your adopted ones, ones that you have called out, given us the gospel, given us faith even to believe in your precious Son. We thank you so much for all you've done for us through the cross. We thank you for another day to be alive and have grace and mercy to bring you glory before we meet you face to face. And Father, most of all, we are grateful and thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for being willing to give him up for us all, even though he was so innocent and pure and righteous and holy. We thank you for your sacrifice. And we thank you for taking away our sins forever and ever through him, through his blood. Father, we ask that you bless this message right now. We ask that you guide us and teach us by your Holy Spirit and help us humbly listen to what you have to say through your Spirit. We ask all these things based on the merits of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, as you can see, the title of our uh, mini-series this week is Godliness with Contentment is Great Gain. Godliness with Contentment is Great Gain. First of all, my thanks to Pastor Collins for the privilege of standing behind his pulpit and filling in for him. Um, the title of this message is obviously, hopefully you realize, it's a rip-off from 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, and it was motivated by Pastor's message from July 12th of this year. So later on, if you want to go compare notes, so to speak, um, you can go back and listen to July 12th and see where this message came about, how it came about. So let's begin this thought-provoking uh, message with uh, a great passage in 1 Timothy 6. Let's go to 1 Timothy 6 and capture the context before we see where the Spirit takes us. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. I think as we start reading this, you'll remember where we were about a month ago. And um, we're going to have special emphasis, obviously, on contentment. So look at 1 Timothy 6, 1. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. 
imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. In other words, flee those things and pursue the following things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Now back to contentment in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We spent time weeks ago talking about money as a false treasure that we can cling to in this world. And as Pastor Collins also brought up, about a month ago, he brought up beauty as another example of false treasure that we can put on a pedestal. But then he gave us an example, if you remember, of a piece of land that might be passed down to one's children. And maybe the children want to sell it for money, a common thing these days. But what they might fail to see is that the beauty is in the land not in its monetary value. So first of all, up here on the board, money lust corrupts true beauty. The beauty is in the land, not in its monetary value. And this is just an example. But the beauty is in its features, its fruit, and even its memories. Do we hold the right perspective on where tr true beauty lies? Or is true beauty to us more cash in our bank account? If so, we've, we've bought a lie and believed a facade. Once land is sold in this example, it becomes dollar figures, which come and go. 
If you've lived for any time at all, you know money comes and goes. It's like water sometimes. Flowing from one place to the next, sometimes totally out of your control. And all that beauty can no longer be enjoyed on a daily basis. Speaking of the land itself. That is gone. That, that potential beauty, the beauty that is in that land, that is no longer your possession because you wanted money, is gone. To not be revisited. To not be experienced anymore on a personal daily basis. So this was just an analogy, but it kicked off a thought process in me as the message from July 12th continued on with wisdom about contentment. And as we just saw in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. So think about this for a minute. What does that imply? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Does that not imply that godliness without contentment is not great gain? Obviously, right? But let's spell it out. Godliness without contentment is not great gain. So in other words, you can be godly. You can be God-fearing. You can be submitting to the word as you are right now, which is beautiful to our God and Savior. You can be godly and not have contentment which means you will not have the great gain that God has planned for you. We lose out on an intimate relationship with God as our provider when we do that. Why might we have a lack of contentment? And this came up a month ago also. Why might we have a lack of contentment? It really comes down to one reason. We refuse to be content with Jesus as our true treasure. And you can deny that if you want, but if you lack contentment on a daily basis, that's the root of the problem. You are not content with having Jesus and trusting in his provisions alone, whatever he decides for you. When we lack contentment with what God has ordained for us, we are in essence saying Jesus isn't enough. So even being godly, living in God's ways, God's word, we can miss out on great gain because we aren't content. We aren't content with him alone as our only treasure. So before we continue on this, this subject that the Spirit has motivated for this particular week, there are several points to review from the last couple messages that the Spirit has given us here at North Christian Church, as well as from yesterday's blog about freedom. So allow me to share what the Spirit had me take notes on, and it has everything to do with contentment. First of all, on the board from last Sunday, we heard this principle regarding lack of contentment. Human power doesn't trust in God's provisions alone. It's not willing to give up the extras we're used to. These are my words, so don't think this is the exact point from last Sunday. This is my translation. Human power doesn't trust in God's provisions alone. It's not willing to give up the extras we're used to. This has everything to do with what's going on right now with 
what Pastor called the COVID test in the blog this week. What type of freedom are we really looking for in all of this? That was a key theme. A key question the Spirit asked us this past week was, have you ever noticed how wealth breeds an assumption of power? Now get ready to apply this to yourself, everybody. Have you ever noticed how wealth breeds an assumption of power? Might this include not just material wealth, but the wealth of freedom we are used to in the United States? Again, might this include not just material wealth, but the wealth of freedom we are used to in the United States? And if so, have we become entitled? Do we assume this is what we deserve, holding on to it at all costs, even though it's a temporary worldly blessing? Again, with this wealth of freedom that we have, do we assume this is what we deserve and we should hold on to it at all costs, even though it's a temporary worldly blessing? So on the board, taking pride in freedom, question mark. Are you and is it right? Taking pride in freedom. Has our wealth of freedom in the USA led to an assumption of power in your heart that you deserve these things? Or, as those who belong to Christ, have you fully accepted you are a sojourner and exile on this earth. We see that term, those two terms used in 1 Peter chapter 2, which also gives us perspective about obeying our authorities, by the way, if you dare read it. So this question on the board is not presuming that any of you are in the first camp. Look at this as an open question. I have no idea where your heart is. All I can do is examine my heart. But which category do you fall into? Has your wealth of freedom in the USA led to an assumption of power in your heart that you deserve these things? Or, as those who belong to Christ, have you fully accepted you are a sojourner and an exile on this earth. You are visiting. In other words, are you content with that? Are you content with Christ's calling on your life? And that your life, your life is not all about making sure you stay prosperous in America. The Spirit is making us think this morning... I hope you all had your coffee. Because God really wants us to, as he's done with us for a long time now, be introspective and examine our own hearts on this issue. What do you value? What's your treasure? What's your top priority of all priorities? Do you say one thing but really in your heart think another? I mean, we know by now God wants our hearts and he is a jealous God. He's not going to settle for second place. 
He will even let us go through things that we need to go through and that we need to lose to see that he's the only hope and he's the only one we should rely on in our hearts. So please don't just dismiss these things or get angry with me personally. The Spirit is making us reconsider what we've always believed and grew up with, even as Americans. Listen, when you learn something from babyhood, if that's a word, when you learn something from two years old and you are fed this truth about our American status and life, that is embedded in your flesh. The good and the bad. There's some good parts. There's nothing wrong with being patriotic and loving your country. But there's maybe an embedded arrogance as though this country is great because of you and me. Or did you just get lucky enough to be born here by the grace of God? So, a little more wisdom from our last couple messages here at North Christian Church on the board. Jesus, our great example. Jesus preferred to focus on spreading the gospel, despite his wealth and power as the Son of God. This, this came out, I think, on Thursday. Jesus pre preferred to focus on spreading the gospel despite his wealth and power as the Son of God. Surely you know, I mean, he maybe didn't carry around money bags, but it was because he didn't need to. Um, and he could have taken over the world if he chose to, but he, he didn't. It wasn't his objective. It wasn't his purpose. He wasn't concerned about his own comfort in any way. So what do you prefer as you go through the inconveniences and even the losses from the COVID test? What do you prefer between these two things on the board? Do you prefer arguing and wrangling with people about what's true and what's a lie? Do you prefer to be overly concerned about losing your freedoms in this country? Or... Do you prefer to use this test to your advantage for the gospel's sake? Which one are you focused on? It's a really important question because as a Christian, we're called to be here for him and his purposes, not our own. And these things, regardless of what you think of what's going on, are opportunities to bring up the gospel with people because a lot of people out there, as we know, are scared. A lot of people are angry. A lot of people are everything, right? Their little cart has been disturbed by the grace and mercy of God. And they now have a chance to humbly turn to God. And they, they, that might be the state of their mind. They, they might actually be ready to hear the gospel and you go up to them and start arguing about what's true and what's a lie. Or you start complaining about losing your freedoms. When their heart is ready to hear the good news, they need some good news, and you are wrapped up in the things of this world. I'm going to save a question I was going to ask for a couple minutes from now. A lot of things to really think about. Do you prefer to use this test to your advantage for the gospel's sake? 
as Jesus did. It was all about the gospel. Wealth, freedom even. It was all about the gospel. Pastor gave us some wonderful perspective in yesterday's blog, speaking of a lack of contentment on the board. From our blog on 8.14.20, what is this freedom you speak of? The person who's flipping out is missing the blessing of contentedness because it's not for the sake of Christ that they endure. Rather, it's for the sake of self, which is the source of their malcontent. Are you not content because you're worried about what self is missing out on or about to lose? Or are you truly here and realize that you're alive for the sake of Christ? It's a good question. But your contentedness is directly related to that decision. So are you worried about losing finances? Are you scared of losing our precious American freedoms? So what? That was in the blog yesterday too. So what about that? What is that to you, follower of Christ? If Jesus were here, what would he be saying? What is that to you? Follow me. Isn't that what he said many a time? Remember when Jesus told several people to leave various things behind and follow him. I got to go bury my father, Lord. Please let me do that first. Let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me. Here's a good question for many of you. Are you a Christian first or are you an American first? We're talking about heart issues. And please don't take offense. I love my country. I am grateful that God placed me here. But we believers must ask ourselves, does the flag have equal standing in our hearts as the cross? The Spirit's been stirring up that question in my soul. Is it right? Does the flag have equal standing in our hearts as the cross? If it does, if you see where the Spirit's going with this, that's pretty disgusting. It's pretty gross. We are out of line. And maybe it's because how we were raised. Maybe, um, you know, you can take it too far, so to speak. But we have made temporal things even with the eternal when they're not even close. Isaiah 55. We have elevated the things of this world to the level of the things of God. So hold on to this thought. And let's consider a couple more precious points from our recent lessons. On the board, this came out this week. Human power versus faith. The exertion of human power and solutions from that power is indicative of a lack of faith. Period. And it took me, you know, when I heard this this week, I didn't connect the two immediately. I had to think about it for a little bit. But the exertion of human power, think about it. If you're resorting to human power to get things done the way you want done, 
you are lacking faith in God. You are not trusting God to make the final decisions in your life. And this comes from fear. Many people won't admit they are afraid of living in fear, but fear is the opposite of faith. Why do you live in human power to fix things? Because you're, a, I just almost said a scared. Remember that? From my favorite movie, My Cousin Vinny? I'm a scared. But is it because you're scared of losing things? Is it because you're scared of losing things that you exert your human power so that your life doesn't get disrupted, even though God might be saying otherwise? Fear is the opposite of faith. Why are we afraid of losing our freedoms or possessions in this life? Really? Why are we afraid? Do we treasure our freedoms in this country? And the key word is treasure. Do we treasure our freedoms in this country so much that we fear losing them and are willing to keep them at all costs? I know some people like that. They're picking up guns and ready to fight with the rest of the world when their main job is to spread the gospel to these very same people that have lost sight of what's important, don't even know the truth. Some people say, I'll never give in. I'll fight if I have to. The heck with the government. They're not taking away my freedom. You might be speaking like an ass who refuses to take his eyes off of worldly treasures. You might just be speaking like a deceived person that the devil has wrapped up in prosperity as though it is the end-all be-all, including the wealth of your freedoms. Big lie. Big deception and distraction. Let's go down this path. It's righteous. Freedom. Right? Braveheart. Freedom. It's righteous. Is it really? Or are, are we supposed to be fighting for spiritual freedom? For those that are in chains, in the chains of sin, destined for hell, because they refuse to repent and trust in Christ. They're going to keep trusting in themselves and America and their leaders or the president or whatever. Which one are you trusting in? America or Christ? Should we ra rather treasure the privilege to spread the Lord's gospel and focus on that while the world worries about losing temporal things? What do you think God's plan is for you? If you've been into the word any time at all, you know, but this might be kicking up against your pride, but maybe that's a good thing because maybe it's gone too far. You decide, you pray about it. Ask God to help you with your perspective if you need it. What's the Spirit saying to you today? Who is your life all about anyway? So let me say this as we move on to our uh, topic, our main topic on the board, which is godliness with contentment is great gain. Being content with God's provisions... Whatever he decides for you is a great safeguard from temptations and the dangers of wealth. 
even bondage to the wealth of earthly freedoms in our country, which also includes quote-unquote rights to certain material possessions. They really kind of blend, if you think about it. But again, being content with God's provisions, whatever he decides for you, that is a great safeguard from being deceived by temptations and wealth and that whole path. It's a great safeguard if you're willing to be content with what God provides for you. So are you willing to learn to be content? Maybe you're not content. Maybe you'd like to be content. Maybe you think you have some, but, you know, other days you just don't. We're all in the same boat. But are you willing to learn to be content like Paul did? Are you willing to go with the flow of earthly blessings and instead focus on the gospel and trusting God with providing just what's right for you in the moment? It's a good question. Turn to Philippians 4, verse 11. Philippians 4, verse 11. Again, are you willing to go with the flow regarding earthly blessings? And instead, focus on the gospel and the Great Commission and trusting God to provide just what's right for you in the moment. And I say in the moment because, listen, our possessions, our wealth, our, our, what God decides to provide can change moment to moment, right? If he, if he wants, he could take everything away from you today. If he wants, he could bless you out tomorrow. And in a way, it shouldn't matter to us. We should trust him either way and be content either way, which is what Paul learned after probably many years. We don't know how many, but a couple decades, most likely, knowing when he wrote Philippians. So look at Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul wrote, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Notice he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's the one that can make you content. He gives you the strength to be content, no matter what's going on. The gift to say that it doesn't really even matter to you how much you have in terms of wealth. So again, the question is, are you willing to learn to be content? Because if you're willing, that's, God can use you, right? God can change you, right? If you're humble enough to be taught by him, to learn, God can do it for you, even though you're struggling. Are you willing to be content or to learn to be content? For your own benefit, and guess what? Great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain for you. And yet we kick against that truth. We're not willing to learn to be content. 
we want to hold on to whatever we have as tight as we can and use human power to not disrupt our, our lives and even our soul. I don't want anything to change. Well, <laughs> you might want to get used to change. It's a good thing. It's always happening in this world. And the sooner you adapt, so to speak, the sooner you accept it, the sooner God can give you contentment. So I hope and pray everyone listening today reads this week's blog on freedom. Because we all have to ask ourselves the question, what type of freedom are we really after? It's really easy to use the word freedom, but our motivation could be wrong. So back to today's lesson. When we lack contentment with what God has ordained for us, we are in essence saying Jesus isn't enough. That's really what it comes down to. So even being godly, living in God's ways and God's word, we can miss out on great gain because we're not content. We aren't content with him alone as our treasure. We're not willing to drop our desire for worldly treasures. If you're honest, maybe some of you don't have that big a problem with this. I don't know. But remember in 1 Timothy 6, it doesn't talk about the wealthy having a problem. It talks about those desiring and craving wealth that have a problem. You could be poor as a rock. You've got a problem if you have a desiring and craving for wealth as a means of happiness, for example. Instead of buying the pearl that is Christ and being content. We're not willing to lose our own life so that we may truly find it. That's a daily test of our faith. And as such, we will miss out on great gain God has planned for us. And that gain includes something so very precious that I've even been struggling with the last couple of days, and that is peace. We all struggle time to time, right? I mean, don't stop listening to me now because I'm struggling, you know. We all struggle. The Spirit is faithful. He knows what needs to be said. But spiritual peace, the peace of Christ that goes beyond human comprehension, that is gold. That is eternal gold. That is what allows us to transcend it all, as was in the blog also this week. To, to rise above it all, to not even be bothered by losing our freedoms. As a believer in Christ, as God's chosen, as someone commissioned to spread the good news, God will give you the ability to not even, not even be bothered by the wealth or lack of it, by losing freedoms, whatever. Freedom in Christ is what's important, right? Spiritual freedom is what's important. There are wealthy people all around this world right now that are slaves. Slaves to sin and slaves to themselves, slaves to their flesh. Slaves, and they don't know how to get out of it. They might not tell you, but they're desperate. And they don't know what to do. And they thought about suicide. They won't tell you. Looks good on the outside. They are slaves and they need spiritual freedom. That's the freedom we should be fighting for. And that's the freedom that lets us transcend it all, everything in this world. And that's a gift from God, given to the humble. 
So when we take off our eyes or our eyes off of Christ as our great treasure in life, we have just lost the right perspective. We lost it. At least for that moment in time, we lost it. And therefore, we will lack contentment, losing out on great gain from God. So the Spirit gave me an analogy to help us personally see why Jesus is our treasure. And I hope this perspective helps you value him all the more and help you see why we say he is the treasure. You've broken the law and you're now sitting at home. I want you to all picture yourself right now sitting down at your kitchen table at your home. And you're nervous, hoping no one finds out that you've broken the law and you're hunkered down in guilt and fear. And then suddenly a dozen military vehicles pull up and surround your home. You see dozens of soldiers jumping out with their automatic weapons. They're big and strong and most of all angry. They learned that you harmed one of their own and frankly they don't care about the law, they want revenge on you. So there you are in your home at your kitchen table and now you realize you are moments away from receiving due punishment. And you can imagine, imagine how horrible it will be in their bloodthirsty hands. As they come up to your front door, they ask for your name. As you are about to speak, Jesus steps in front of you and says, Take me. And he puts out his two hands to be handcuffed. And without objection, the angry soldiers drag him away. We know what happens to him next. He pays dearly for your sin. And there you are, spared from ruthless judgment, safe in your home. My friends, that is why Jesus is our treasure. He did that for each and every one of us at the cross. And no one and nothing else compares to him. How do you put a price on a friend like that? Yet, isn't that what we do when we are in bondage to earthly treasures? How do you put a price on a friend like that? That's why the person that really realizes what he did for them is willing to sell everything to follow him or to leave everything behind to follow him. Because they have a new heart from God. Because God has opened their eyes. This is why Jesus is our treasure. And we should treasure nothing else, really. If the events in this analogy literally happened to you tomorrow at your home, at your front door, would you not turn around and live a life boasting in what your great friend did for you? Isn't that the least you could do? Wouldn't you be motivated to do so? I would think so. And this is why we've been commissioned to spread his good name. What a friend. He is the treasure. We have no other friend like that in this world, not even close. So as the Spirit gave us a month ago on the board regarding the great treasure, the believer's heart is with him, not his wealth or even the gifts he gives. It's with him. Christ is the indescribable gift. 
We know that from 2 Corinthians 9.15. He is the indescribable gift. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 12.24. Luke 12.24. Again, the point on the board from uh, July 12th, I believe. The believer's heart is with him. With him. Not his wealth or even the gifts he gives. It is with him. Christ is the indescribable gift. Look at Luke 12, verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Your possessions don't take care of you. He takes care of you. And we all need to learn that lesson, especially in America. Your possessions, your bank account, doesn't take care of you. He takes care of you. You have God. You have the one who stepped in the path to take your punishment. You have the one who created everything and also provides everything. You don't need anything when you have a relationship with the God who provides everything. As Jesus might say, do you not see, O oh, you of little faith? You don't need anything when you have a relationship with the God who provides everything. It is foolish. If you just be logical, rational for a minute, right? Step back from your emotional life, your situation. It's foolish. Why would I say I need anything when my father owns a cattle on a thousand hills and can give it to me any day he wants? Why would I say I need anything? It's foolishness. And if we're so valuable to him that he suffered and died for us, why don't we believe he will provide for us? Again, foolishness, right? If we believe he will provide for us, then why aren't we content at all times? For those of you that say you believe he will provide for you, why aren't you content at all times? We battle with the flesh, right? We all do it. But let's not deceive ourselves into thinking that we're, we're good. Well, maybe we're not. Is it because we think he'll only provide our needs and not our wants? Is that why? Maybe you're not willing to rely on him alone. Is that why maybe you cling to some human power to keep your life a certain way? Because you think he'll only provide our needs and not our wants? That's what, that's what went through this sick head. Wait a minute, I don't want to trust God 100% with my life and with my provisions because he might decide that my needs are enough and he might not give me these few extra wants that I think I need, that I really, I really don't want to give up. Could be freedoms, by the way, don't forget. Could be freedoms, not money. If you believe he died for you and for your sins personally, he died for you, 
how are we not content with whatever he decides to provide for us going forward? So this message is not only about being godly, but about being content with whatever the Lord decides to give us in his perfect wisdom. And here's what it comes down to, folks. Trusting in him alone. That's where we find the great gain that God intends for us. The great gain of contentment and godliness. Trusting in him alone. In other words, there's an active reliance in your soul. And if you think about it, your soul is always relying on something or somebody. For example, I heard this this morning too. Are you relying on other people for your peace? How good your relationship is with them, if they accept you, if they look well on you. Are you relying on that for your peace? What are you relying on? You're relying on something. You're always relying on something. Your soul's like a vacuum, right? It's going to take in information. It's going to take in good, godly information, bad, worldly information. Well, it's the same thing with who you're relying on. You're always relying on somebody. You're leaning on, in your soul, in your heart, you're leaning on somebody for your happiness, for your contentment, for your peace. Who are you relying on? Are you relying on him alone? The closer we get to that place, which is impossible in this life because we're not going to be perfect, but the closer we get to relying on him alone is the closer we get to the contentment that God desires us to walk in where he can release great gain upon us, things like his supernatural peace. But that's the question. Are you trusting in him alone or not? So for example... How, and maybe, maybe this is a great question, especially for us Americans. How can we be content with only food and clothing? How is that possible? Like, at times I think I could be. At times, I know I act like I won't be, if that makes any sense. I start thinking about things. I start fear losing certain things. At times, I think I could be homeless and be fine with it. At times, I'm, I, I'm probably scared to death of it. Why? So how can we be content with only food and clothing? One reason only. We have Him. Knowing you have Him is what makes that more than possible. Remember, everything, things are not possible with man, but they're possible with God. We have him. We have a relationship with the creator and the provider of all things. Our flesh wants a lot more. It thinks about money too much. It thinks about shiny objects too much. It thinks about collecting things too much. But there's great gain for us only when godliness is accompanied by contentment. That's the message today. There's great gain for us only when godliness is accompanied by contentment. Until then, we'll be miserable and never satisfied. Our hearts agitated by the temporary things we crave but don't have, or agitated by the things we're losing right now in this country. Why does it bother you so much? Is it inordinate? Is it inappropriate as a Christian for it to bother you that much. 
What's interesting is the Word of God specifically tells us to be content with food and clothing. It doesn't even mention shelter. Some of you are like, oh, come on, God. I can't even have a, you can't even make sure I have a roof. Of course he does. Look at all of us, right? We're spoiled. We're blessed out. We don't even know it. The word of God says, be content with food and clothing. This means having a roof over your head is a bonus. It is an extra blessing from God, your provider. We see it right in 1 Timothy 6. It talks about possessions when it talks about contentment. It talks about food and clothing when it talks about contentment. We're going through strange times right now in our country and in our world, but maybe especially in our country because we have so much to lose in a worldly wealth sense. It may end up that the financial hardships hit us harder in the long term than any virus. Things might change in a hurry. Things might change in a hurry. Are you ready for that if that's what is meant to be? Are you ready to be content with just food and clothing? Could you deal with it and be content? If you're not ready for that, well, consider that maybe God is preparing your soul right now. Maybe this message is to prepare your soul for what's to come. And guess what? If you're prepared, you're good. It's when you, get, it's when you don't prepare and you don't learn the ways of God, particularly, on how to deal with something. It's when you're unprepared that things are unbearable, right? But are you willing to learn to be content? Remember what we saw with Paul? Are you willing to learn to be content like Paul learned? If you're willing, God will prepare you and you won't have any problem when the test comes because the word will sustain you. Maybe, just maybe, God loves you enough to prepare your heart through his word. Prepare you to be content and at peace in your soul no matter what the details look like. doesn't matter. We forget so quickly, right? We forget so quickly. What if it was just yesterday that Jesus offered himself to those angry soldiers at your home and you're now safe and you're here at church when you shouldn't be, you should be dead? What if it just happened yesterday? Would you care about how much money you have in the bank? You'd be so appreciative and thankful for him, your best friend, and what he did for you, and you'd be telling everybody about it, and you could, you'd probably be giving away money. Be like, eh, here, take this. What's, what's this? I don't need this. I have him. Do you realize what he did for me? I have him. How can we not be content with food and clothing? But we forget. We forget. As we learned a month ago, on the board regarding true faith. The gospel is a surrender to Jesus, his person, not what he can give you. It's not for what I can gain. Like the rich young ruler said, what must I do to gain eternal life? In the background, he's saying, me, me, me. He wasn't really concerned about the truth. 
he didn't really want the person. The gospel is a surrender to Jesus, his person, not what he can give you. So go in your Bibles to Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. We've got about 10 minutes left. Keep the point on the board in mind as you go there, and we'll read, we'll read a couple verses here. The gospel is a surrender to Jesus, his person, not what he can give you. Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you see how it's about him in this verse? It's really about him. I will never leave you or forsake you. In other words, why would you do these things? Why would you not be content if I have told you I will never leave you or forsake you? And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Right? And this is really a similar warning to our main passage. Turn again to 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. So you won't have to listen to my sniffles. Okay, 1 Timothy 6, 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, we saw this with the rich young ruler in Luke 18 and Matthew 19. He wanted his cake and eat it too. He wanted to remain in control. He wanted salvation on his terms, including hold on, holding on to the wrong things as his treasure. And he also wanted some credit in the salvation equation. He wanted a lot of things for himself. On the board, the rich young ruler, he didn't see that Jesus himself was the true treasure and the way of salvation. And therefore, he couldn't be content with only food and clothing. Do you see the connection? Do you see the direct correlation on how highly you esteem Jesus is how content you can be or not content you can be? The direct correlation. The rich young ruler didn't see that Jesus himself was the true treasure and the way of salvation. And therefore, he couldn't be content with only food and clothing. He couldn't give it all up, as Jesus asked him to. He didn't see the pearl of great value right before his eyes, as the parable tells us. 
So he wasn't willing to give up his own old life to buy it. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, 44. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The rich young ruler had his eyes on the wrong prize. He didn't even see the treasure that was Jesus. And this is why, as Pastor said uh, a few weeks ago, I believe, we're in a crisis. And we're talking about spiritual salvation. We're in a crisis because many people think they're saved when they're not, like the rich young ruler quote-unquote good person. I've kept all the commandments. What else do I have to do? We're in a crisis. This is why, folks, we can't afford to not focus on the Great Commission every day in some way. We're all called to participate in that somehow. Whether you're the one on the front line or the back line or the sideline, don't be on the sideline. That's actually a bad thing. Front line, back line, however you participate in the Great Commission, however you obey the command to spread the good news, do it. Somehow, be involved. Could be in prayer, could be in support, could be in a lot of different things. But we can't afford to not be active, actively obeying this great command. People think they're saved when they're not. A lot of people. How do we know that? Because Jesus, even though they use his name, He's the furthest thing from their treasure. Money to them is like crack cocaine. It is. You know, do you know who I'm talking? Do you know what I'm talking about? And I, I used to be like this when I was a young man. Money to them is like crack cocaine. I will do whatever I can to gain more of it. I don't care who I hurt. I'm not going to tell you that. But up here, I don't really care who I hurt. You mean I can get an extra? $500, an extra $1,000 if I just do this too, I'm in. Guess what? They don't have a conscience. If that's their regular way of thinking, we all sin, right? If that's their regular way of thinking and they could care less about Jesus, even though they use his name, and it's all about what they can gain however possible, they don't have the new heart from God, obviously, because they don't even care when they sin. That's, as we've learned, a major measuring stick. So we're in a crisis, everybody. In our own beloved country, with our own neighbors and friends and young people that have never heard about God at all. We're in a crisis because people are desperate. And again, that's why the COVID situation is such a blessing in disguise for people's salvation. I hope you think that way. I hope you see that. 
it's such an opportunity. We can't just skip by it like it's no big thing, focusing on the wrong things for ourselves. And this is why we need to preach repentance. People do whatever they can, whatever they need to for more money, for example. And that's a sign that they're lost. Pretty simple, right? It's a sign they don't treasure Jesus, because if they did, their conscience would bother them, at the very least. This is why we need to preach repentance, like Jesus did in Luke 13. We're not going to go there, but in Luke 13, what did he say? He said, do you think those people, those 18 people that died with the Tower of Siloam falling on them, do you think they were worse than the people in Jerusalem? I tell you no. That's why everyone needs to repent. You, you say they were under judgment because the tower fell on them. They must, ooh, they must have been bad people. I say no. Everyone needs to repent. You see? Everyone thinks they're okay and they're better than the next guy because they haven't been judged yet because God's been patient with them. We need to preach repentance. We need to wake people up, my friends. Use the COVID thing as an opportunity. Whether they're focused on fear or they're focused on losing things or, or whatever, they're focused on death. Hopefully they're focused on death. Good. Where are you going when you die? Do you know? Do you want to know? It's such an opportunity. Hopefully the pandemic and its financial consequences bring people to their knees to find that Christ is the true treasure, their best friend who gave himself up for them. And I don't know about you, I believe this is happening more and more throughout the world. I believe the fields are ripe for harvest, my friends. I believe people are desperate in their souls and want to hear some good news. Are you trying to tell me that you couldn't go up to someone and say, can I give you some good news? You who are scared to speak, you who think you can't do it, blah, blah, blah. Listen, Jesus uses, he used an ass, he used a donkey to talk to Balaam, to correct him. Are you trying to say you can't go up and say, hey, do you know the good news? And just speak from the heart? Of course you can. Are you willing? Are you preoccupied with losing earthly treasures? Or are you, or do you want to be a Christian who follows Christ and leaves everything else behind? Forget about that. Follow me. Which one are you? Are you a lost American right now? Are you a lost Christian American right now? Or are you a Christian? Are you a sojourner and an exile on the earth? Let's close with one more verse. Go to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, 1. Jesus is our great example of this very thing, of living for the gospel instead of living for self. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such uh, endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him, okay, we're not reading anymore, sorry. Consider him who put his hands out and said, take me. Consider him. If that doesn't motivate you, if that doesn't make it easier so that you don't grow weary and faint-hearted, I don't know what will. But we forget. We forget what he just did for us yesterday. There's no time with God, by the way. Just because it was 2,000 years ago. There's eternal repercussions and eternal victories accomplished on our behalf. May we never forget. May we consider him. On the board, Jesus, our great example. Consider him. Think of him the one who was always content with the Father's plan for him and the one who had no place to lay his head, according to Matthew 8. Remember food and clothing? Be content with those. He was. He really was. He didn't have a a regular home to sleep in. But he was good with that. He was even content that the Father's plan for him involved going to the cross. If he can do that, we can do much less. Amen? So we'll continue with this series on Thursday evening. Let's bow. Father, we thank you so much for your word and the guidance of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for saying what needs to be said so that we can hear what we need to hear and we ask that you humble our hearts to honestly consider where our own hearts are where our own priorities lie Father we just thank you for your patience with us you're so patient you wait and wait and wait until we finally come along Father we just thank you for this place to worship and to study your word together as family and to grow together in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask that you help us, give us more faith and courage to live in your calling for us, to not worry about the things in the world, but to obey your great commission. Father, we ask that you give us opportunities in this regard as well, and help us be prepared. Father, we ask all these things based on the merits of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.